0: Like to ask you just to continue in, in just a short time of prayer with me uh, as, as we head into our passage for this morning. So, if you wouldn't mind joining me in that, uh, Lord, thank you for your 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 word, and that it doesn't stay there; that it comes into our lives and it changes us and makes us new and, and, and creates these examples of lives like madeline who we just saw in the video who will do anything for a relationship with you and reminding us that it's that it's worth it every time god help us know that you're worth it this morning and the next morning and the next and for the rest of our lives help us live with that truth, not only in our hearts, but in our hands, and in our mouths, and in our minds. So we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for this time. Amen. Well, good morning. Anna. Good morning. So if, if you had the ability to be here last week, you heard one of our elders, Patrick, uh, preach through Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and um, it was fantastic. If you didn't get to, I recommend that you go back and listen to it. Um, however, I personally was was so moved by it that we're just going to be in three, one through eleven. Uh, so, if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to flip flip to there. If you got or your phone or whatever you need, if you need one, you can borrow mine or you can grab one at the end of your aisle. Um, and so, but while you're uh, opening up to to chapter three in Philippians, uh, I'll bring you back a story from my teenage years. And a, as a teenager, um, Uh, which was about three years ago, (laughs) Uh, so I'm still in confidence, I know. Um, But uh, for, yeah, at this rate. Um, But in that, I I used to be a little prideful. I used to get a big head. And again, you're like, thanks a lot for that. Um, But uh, my dad, in an attempt to help check my pride, you know, help keep keep me growing in that area, anytime he would see me start to get prideful, he would check me a little bit by saying, Zach, you know what? At whatever you're doing, there's always somebody better than you at it. And, uh, being a teenager who knew all things, I'd be like, "Where are they at?" You know, and I'm like, because I can't find them. And uh, but today, actually, I think the Lord is good and that He's shown us who that person is in our text. Um, but I digress back to the church, and, and so the Church of Philippi is a fairly unique church. Uh, it's one of the coolest in Scripture for me in that we get to see its birth in Acts, uh, the book of Acts, in chapter 16. We get to see its origin from there. Um, it's a church as well with major historical significance. It is the first church to be planted in the continent of europe ever the very first one so we see the explosion of the gospel in europe originating from this church and they end up being really strong consistent supporters of paul uh, which brings us to this letter about 10 years later and uh, we, we, we talk about that because it doesn't it shows us that this isn't just like some missionary email that you signed up for. And you're like, honestly, I don't even know who this person is. They just keep getting emails every month. And, and, but these are Paul's friends. He loves them. He trusts them. He cares for them. And, and as he's writing this letter, he's actually sitting in jail. He's in Rome. And he's waiting to meet with Caesar. And so the, the, the holy emperor of the entire Roman Empire, right? And, and so he probably expects to, to die soon after this. And so why do we talk about, why do we look at the context? Well, not only is it cool, because it is, but it's important because we're shown that this understanding that Paul is preparing the Philippian church to raise up believers to take his place when he's no longer there. And that's his expectation. So let's dive into what chapter 3 has for us, starting in verse 1. It says, Finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews." Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so coming out of this letter, we we know that Paul is writing it to the church in Philippi. And and with writing it to the church, he is writing it to Christians. And you're like, wow, this guy definitely works with students. (laughs) Uh, So, but why do I, why do I bring it up? And and so what we do is if we jump back to Philippians 1 uh, and in verse 27, Paul is giving them this just one thing in verse 27. And he's kind of like this parent who's like, listen, I need you to focus, like track with me for just one second. Like if you get nothing else, just get this one thing down like that's all I need you to do and, and what he tells them is he says live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ is what he tells them. and he's teaching the believers that this is what their lives need to look like and where we find ourselves in chapter three is Paul giving them these signs of what a life that really does that is and that's where we, where we find ourselves at these identifying marks that we can use that point to faithful Christians in our own lives And in the lives of those around us. And so we'll start, we're going to jump right in by looking at the first identifier of a Christian living his or her life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Starting with point number one, Christians are marked by sound teaching. Christians are marked by sound teaching. So picking up in verse two of our text, we find that Paul is definitely not a fan of everyone in Philippi. uh, To the point where he calls some of the residents there dogs and evildoers, um, and, and, which is kind of harsh, right? That's pretty rough. I don't go around saying that a whole lot. But, and, and really the only time that we hear the phrase evildoer beyond that is with supervillains. So, we know he means business, right? And, and he's calling out a specific group known as the Judaizers, okay? The Judaizers. And, and so, these guys would hold to the need that you had to believe in Jesus to be saved. They would be like, yeah, totally, I agree with that. But, in addition... They would, they would come into these young churches and say, to truly be saved, though, you've got to do what we do. You've got to follow all of the laws that the Jews do, all the way down to circumcision. And they're not a lot of fun at parties. And, and so, but without, without these, you can't really be a Christian. Without these, you can't really follow Jesus. You can believe all you want, but you've got to do this too. And, and, and so the Judaizers would claim to know Jesus. And they probably looked like the holiest people in the church. But they taught and followed false teaching. And they would teach us Jesus and. That faith in Jesus alone could not save you. But Jesus in rituals. Jesus in tradition. Jesus in rules. Now that's what it takes. That's a false gospel. It's 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 empty. And as Pastor Jeremy has often said, Jesus plus anything is a false gospel. But how often, 2,000 years later, do we see the exact same thing? How often in our own lives do we feel the exact same thing? Now Paul is adamant against these guys because they are leading people astray with what amounts to an empty gospel. And he's warning the Philippian believers to be alert and watching for these Judaizers, but is also anyone else who would lead them away from the true gospel. And this warning isn't just for the pastors in the church at Philippi. In fact, his letter of Philippians opens with, to all the saints, all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So the responsibility doesn't simply belong to church leadership. We can't say oh, that's my pastor's problem. But but it's with every believer to know and be marked by sound teaching. It's our job. And but since Paul's time, right, false teachers and false gospels—the number has only grown of all of those. So how do we combat that? How do we deal with this? The same way Paul does with the true gospel. And if we continue through the text, he doesn't get into a Facebook debate about why they're wrong. Like, well, actually, if you look at the Greek. Um, But but he doesn't also find an article that passive-aggressively gets his point across and then shares it with a small group. But he, he points us back to Jesus. Because I could sit up here all day and tell you about false teachers and false gospels, but just knowing who's wrong doesn't give us sound teaching. The truth does. And that's why Paul says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you because he's reminding us of the gospel. He's reminding them of the gospel. And it's what we have to do as well. That we stand before a holy God condemned and guilty, earning the wrath and judgment that we deserve from him and that we are dead there. But Jesus... Came. God sent His Son, Jesus, to come and to take that wrath and judgment that we have earned so that by faith we can receive His righteousness. And that's not Jesus and something else. That's Jesus, period. We need to proclaim this gospel to ourselves and others daily through the things that we do and say so that we can be marked by sound teaching and not led away by false gospels. And that leads us to our next mark in that Christians, point number two, Christians are marked by biblical fruit. Christians are marked by biblical fruit. Because when we have sound teaching, we are impacted by the true and biblical Jesus. And when we have an impact with that Jesus, there's a difference in our lives. That's what we see when we look at verse three where Paul says, but we... Right? This but we. He's, he's saying there's this distinction between the kind of fruit that the world produces and the kind that's produced in the life of a Christian. A collision between Jesus and our lives always, always leads to change. And uh, I i heard one pastor explain it this way. And, you know, say this Sunday you showed up, you know, you got your spot right. And you're like, you know, and got in there. And, and so you, you get in there and you're set And everything's normal, you know, you got your program, it looks great, and, you know, Derek comes up, does his thing, it's awesome, and uh, Jeremy does his prayer, and then I just don't come up here, right? Pulpit's empty, and so you're going to give me some grace, you wait a couple minutes, and then, you know, five minutes goes by, and then ten minutes, you're like, can I bounce without looking unholy, right? And, uh, but then I run up, and I'm just, I'm so sorry I'm late. I was racing, we were coming, we were heading here, and uh, we were coming up nine, and uh, wouldn't you believe it, I got a flat tire. And uh, so, you know how that is, you know. So I, I I go, I get the old one off, and I got the new one there. And uh, as I'm taking it, the old one off, the flat one off, I, it just, the new one rolls out into the road. I'm like, great, you know. And But I, I head out there to go get it, you know. And as I get out into the road, this semi just comes out of nowhere and hits me. It hurts a lot. Yeah. But I had somewhere to be, so I got up, you know, and I, I got the tire, and I threw it on there the best I could. I'm not a strong dude, but I got it on there, you know, and, uh, and I got here as fast as I could. Now, you're thinking, like, now we definitely need to balance this dude as crazy, right? Or you're thinking that I'm a liar, right? So one of the two, because you know if I got slammed into headfirst by a semi, I'm going to be looking pretty different, right? <laughs> I mean, you can amen that, but... Um, so, but in the same stroke, if I have an impact with Jesus, the sovereign king of the universe who sustains all things, my life has to look different. It has to, or it's not this Jesus. That's what Paul's telling us here. He's saying, all these things that used to matter to me, all these things that I used to think were so important, who I was, what people thought about me, what I did, how good I was at it, it's worthless. It's worthless. It's worthless. Because when we look at Jesus, everything that we used to pride ourselves in, everything that we used to have confidence in or place our trust in, it is garbage to comparison of knowing Him. Now your translation might have different ones, might have the word rubbish as being animal dung or waste. And so regardless of what you have, these things that Paul used to pride himself in, right? Find his identity in, that's me. They're about as low as they can get in his mind. Paul has seen the biblical Jesus and has said the life that you give is worth the loss of everything. Everything. And, and we look and hear at a statement like that and it seems so foreign to us. It's alien, right? To everything else that we see around us. Why is that? Why is that? Because It is. There's there's this distinction between what the world views as valuable and what the Christian does. That's why Jesus can tell us in Matthew that we'll know people by their fruits. They are an outward sign of the inward change that happens when somebody slams headfirst into the biblical Jesus. But what's the difference between biblical fruit and just being a good person? Well, as Paul heads into the last few verses of our passage for today... He lays out one of the most important, the most important identifying mark of a Christian. And, and, and hear me on this, because without this, you cannot be a Christian. You can't. And point number three, Christians are marked by faith in Christ alone. Christians are marked by faith in Christ alone. In stark contrast to the Judaizers we looked at at the beginning of the passage, Paul tells us, he says, your, your faith has to be completely and entirely rooted in Christ alone. Not our traditions, not our rituals, not our passions, not our obedience, not our flesh. Nothing. Now for some sitting, you know, for some of us sitting there, this might start to paint a, a pretty bleak picture, right? Well, what can I have faith in? What is this good news that I came to hear start? And like this, this... Small candle going out in a dark room, we start to lose hope, There's darkness. But enter Jesus, who lived a life of perfect, sinless devotion to God and has the righteousness of God himself. As verse 9 will tell us, there is nothing that we can do to earn this righteousness. It comes from outside of us. We can never earn it. We can never deserve it. But it is a gift we receive simply by grace through faith in Christ alone. And it's not some spare righteousness that God has lying around in the closet or an extra set that he hands out like a stuffed animal at a carnival, but it is the very righteousness of Christ himself. The core of who Christ is is placed onto us, God's adopted children, and that. That is Paul's knockout punch against the false teaching that has come into this church. That that our faith is based completely and entirely on the person and work of Jesus and him alone. This passage simultaneously exalts the view of Jesus to his rightful place above all things. But it also reminds us of how hollow and hopeless life without him really is you know one of the most profound things that i find in philippians is that even in reminding us of such simple truths it gives us some of the most profound challenges as well and the, and the question that this passage leaves us with and that every single one of us believer in christ or otherwise has to wrestle with is jesus worth it or not is he worth it or not Is he worth my devotion to seek out and be surrounded by sound teaching? Is he worth the loss of all things in my life, from sleep to security? Is he worth more than the things that make me feel significant? Is he worth more than the sins that make me feel good? And church, these questions either come with a yes or a no in our hearts and to avoid asking them is to have already answered them. Don't be fearful of what you find if you ask these questions honestly in your life because when you see the biblical Jesus, the righteous holy king who while we were still his enemies gave himself up for us so that we might share in his reward You will be able to be like Paul looking back at the end of your life and when someone asks, was it really worth it? You can say yes. Every time. Because if if you see the biblical Jesus, you will discover that he is worth it every single time. Every time. Pray with Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for the life change that can come from it. don't let us be comfortable where we're at, but help us pursue you with everything that we have. Help us be aware and watchful for false teaching that springs up in our life and stir our hearts to pursue biblical fruit. Father, constantly remind us of the completed work that your son Jesus did on the cross and that we can have faith in him alone for our salvation. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' holy and worthy, worthy name. Amen.